coming in as Bloom. Millendike centered it. Talk with Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get a, a very special hour going on Flames Talk. It is Friday, November 10th. Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. Pat Steinberg along with you. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $14.50, or explore the full line of safes at CalvaryLockAndSafe.com. It is Hockey Hall of Fame weekend in Toronto. The class of 2023 goes in this weekend, officially inducted on Monday. Part of the class of 2023 is 1989 Stanley Cup champion Mike Vernon. Now, good choice on the intro because uh, you heard that last clip there. That might have been uh, game six of the Montreal Forum on May 25th, 1989. Might have been when the Flames beat the Habs and won the Stanley Cup. The guy who might have been in net, Mike Vernon, and the guy who called that game, that clip you just heard, might be our next guest inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local, find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. That uh, man who we're talking about uh, just happens to be a Hockey Hall of Famer himself. The 2006 recipient of the Foster Hewitt Memorial Award and the Hall of Famer himself. Peter Marr joins us to talk a little Mike Vernon on this Friday Mr. Marr, a pleasure, as always, to have you on Flames Talk. Uh, how are you, pal? I'm very well, Pat and Wes. Great to chat with you guys here this afternoon and about a real uh, great topic, uh, Mike Vernon going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. And certainly, as Glenn Hall said the other day, he said it's about time. <laughs> so he, apparently, he had to wait 16 years before getting into the Hall of Fame uh, for Mike, but it's uh, going to be a great weekend for him. And uh, from what I can gather, it's already started off pretty well in uh, Toronto with the uh, plaques being uh, presented today and uh, rings and that sort of thing. So, Pete, you've uh, you've gone through this before. What take us through a Hall of Fame weekend uh, and and what all goes into it? Because I, I've only ever seen it from afar. You and and Rob mm-hmm. Kerr were both there in 2006. I remember vividly how how cool a weekend that was back here. But like, what goes into a Hockey Hall of Fame weekend? Well, Pat, the the year that I was uh, honored at the Hall. In 2006, I actually didn't get the whole weekend because the uh, I was working then, of course, broadcasting Flame games, and uh, the Flames had a game on the Saturday night of Hall of Fame weekend in Vancouver, and so I had uh, got to a point where I hadn't missed a, a broadcast to that point in my career, so I wanted to keep that going, so I uh, broadcast that game. And I had the option of taking the red-eye flight out of Vancouver to Toronto right after the game or waiting until the next morning. So I figured I better get some sleep uh, in Vancouver. So I took the first flight out of the morning, and I got there in the middle of the afternoon uh, on Sunday. And the minute I walked into the uh, the Westin Hotel, the Harbor Castle, uh, which was the headquarters for the Hall of Fame, and, and still is again this weekend, uh, there was a whole bunch of um, my uh, supporters, including Rob Kerr, uh, there to uh, welcome me in the lobby, and uh, 
that started off the, the weekend for me. Uh, I missed out on the activities that uh, went on on Friday and, and Saturday. But uh, on Sunday, we had a. Uh, I was fortunate that also being honored at that time at the Hall of Fame that year was uh, the late Flames owner, uh, Harley Hotchkiss. Right. And uh, that Sunday night, uh, the Flames. Uh, rented out the Grand Hall at the Hall of Fame, and we had a uh, had a party there for uh, Harley and myself. And then uh, after that, we had another little party at a restaurant just down the street from, um, from the Hall of Fame with uh, all of the gang that was in the Hall of Fame party coming on to that one. And so that's uh, Saturday night and Sunday night are basically the nights to have your, uh, your party, your personal parties. And then on um, Monday is the day that's really uh, also on Sunday – um, although I didn't get to experience then, in the afternoon they have the game at the uh, at the arena there. I think it's the Scotiabank Center they call it now. Um, they uh, have the, uh, the the Legends game uh, that goes on in the in the afternoon, and it's a bunch of Hall of Fame players and other players from the past that participate this year. Uh, former Flame Joe Newendike is uh, captaining one of the teams, and uh, they're going up against uh, another team captained by. Adam Oates. So that's uh, that's what goes on on Sunday. Then on uh, then on Monday, which is the big day, uh, they have a luncheon at noon hour. They have a luncheon the year I was there, and uh, that is where uh, where uh, I was honored and uh, and uh, given my Hall of Fame jacket and uh, all of that uh, sort of thing. And uh, then that evening, we went to the Hall of Fame itself, and that's where they had the uh, Hall of Fame induction. And that, of course, uh, goes on, you know. All, all evening until everybody is uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, and then there's a little bit of a after party at that at the Hall of Fame after that event. So it is a real full weekend. Now I did have a chance and go have the full weekend the year that uh, Doug Gilmore and uh, Joe Newendike, two uh, former Flames, uh, the year they were inducted to the Hall of Fame. I had kind of a uh, a weekend off from Flame broadcasting games, so I went to their induction ceremony. So I got okay. the and got the full weekend uh, treatment uh, at that time. Uh, and so that's basically what goes on at Hall of Fame weekend. A very busy weekend for the uh, for the inductees, and uh, and a great memorable time for them and family and friends and that sort of thing. We're chatting with the Hall of Famer Peter Marr as Mike Vernon goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame. What was uh, what, June or July? I think it was July when we we heard the news. What was your uh, what was your reaction when you found out that Mike Vernon, as as you said, Glenn Hall said it's about time. What was your reaction <laughs> when you uh, heard that Mike was going in? Well, I was so happy for him because I, I, I like Glenn Hall, thought that he should have been in the Hall of Fame long before now. But that's the way the procedure goes. Sometimes you don't get in as quickly as a player you think should be. But uh, I was really pleased for him, and right away I uh, I sent him a text message, and uh, I heard back from Mike at that particular point in time. But I think the real key to uh, to uh, see there's three goaltenders being inducted uh, uh, this weekend. Mike, of course, is one of them. Tom Barrasso, uh, the goaltender for the Pittsburgh Penguins, when they won a couple of their early Stanley Cups, and uh, also Henrik Lundqvist, that he recently retired. New York Rangers goalie, he's being inducted as well. But it was real interesting about um, about uh, two or three weeks before the uh, vote was taken by the 18-member committee that selects the Hall of Fame inductees. Uh, columnist Steve Simmons, who used to be here in Calgary, the columnist for the Toronto Sun, but he used to be here in Calgary back in the in the 80s. He wrote in his column, he said, it's kind of strange that there's only been 10 goalies inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in the last 30 years. 
And um, I think that kind of uh, uh, intrigued the people that are involved in that selection committee, and uh, that uh, got their attention. And I think that's why we got three goaltenders going in, like Steve's uh, uh, word in his column, and it was very justifiable, was that he he said, you know, you talk about teams that uh, have success, teams that have success and win Stanley Cups have to have great goaltenders. And both Mike Vernon and Tom Barrasso won two Stanley Cups in their time. And uh, Mike with one here in Calgary and also one in Detroit. And Barrasso, of course, with his two. Lundquist did not win a Hall of Fame. I did not win a Stanley Cup, but he's had a great, great career winning numerous games of the great goals against average for the Rangers. So I think that was helpful in getting uh, those guys uh, recognized and uh, uh, this year getting the honor in the, in the Hall of Fame as well as some others. We're uh, joined here by Peter Marr, the legendary uh, longtime radio voice of the Calgary Flames. Peter, thank, uh, thanks for doing this, for starters. And, and let me ask you, because a lot of those around the Flames, former teammates, former coaches of Mike Vernon, agree with exactly what you just said, that this is long overdue that Mike Vernon is going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. But as somebody who would have watched as many of his games as you did, you know, if you had the opportunity to address the selection committee over the past few years, what what would have been your case for Mike Vernon as the the Hockey Hall of Fame candidate? Well, my biggest uh, my biggest argument for Mike uh, would have been the fact that uh, if it wasn't for him, the Flames might not have a Stanley Cup in their history. And um, also, of course, his great time when he was in Detroit, uh, winning a Stanley Cup there with the Red Wings in, in 1989. But to further to that, I mean, the Flames have been to the Stanley Cup finals three times in their history, and Mike Vernon was the goalie in two of them. Uh, when you go back to the 1985-86 season, uh, that was the year that the uh, Flames upset the Edmonton Oilers in the second round of the uh, playoffs. And Mike Vernon was a big reason for that. It was a different style of hockey was played then than they played uh, later on in in hockey, uh, this uh, wide-open hockey that we had in the 80s, as well as the uh, almost murderous type hockey we have on on the ice. I mean, we talked to some former Flame players that were involved in the Battle of Alberta back then. You know, they'd say it was amazing that somebody didn't get killed because it was so many uh, battles that went on, stick battles and fights and uh, bench-clearing brawls and then the league banned bench-clearing brawls. And uh, But the Oilers had their high-scoring players uh, in that uh, that playoff series in 1986, and Mike Vernon was able to shut them down enough to give the Flames the uh, the victory in that series in, in seven games. And uh, from there, would go on to... Uh, to uh, defeat uh, St. Louis and then uh, go on to play in the Stanley Cup uh, Stanley Cup final, losing out that year to uh, to Patrick Waugh and the Montreal Canadiens. But that you know that year in uh, you know people kind of forget this, or even most people probably don't remember back to then. But in that 1985-86 season, West, the Flames at one point lost 11 consecutive games. Mike Vernon wasn't with the Flames for any of those games. He was playing with their minor league farm team, I believe, it was in Moncton, New Brunswick, then. And they, uh, with the losing streak at 11 games, he got called up from the minors by uh, the team and went in the nets for the uh, game that would have been 12 in a row if they hadn't won it. But he uh, came in, turned in a strong performance. The Flames won the game two to one. Jim Paplinski scored the winning goal late in the third period, and uh, that was the end of the uh, the losing streak. And uh, from then. 
Mike uh, took over basically as the number one goaltender for the Flames uh, for not only the rest of that season, but to go on for another six or seven uh, more seasons. And uh, and uh, when you go back to the uh, Flames' performance in in 1989, again, Mike was a real, real pivotal factor in the team going to the Stanley Cup uh, final and then winning the Cup in Montreal on the night that Pat mentioned there earlier. Uh, it was a Thursday night on May 25th of 1989. Well remember that game in the uh, the Montreal Forum and uh, Mike turning in a stellar performance in that game as well. And, um, and uh, he made numerous great saves. And I remember talking to Terry Chris, the head of reunion for the Stanley Cup winning team a few years ago. And Terry Chris, uh, who was coach of that team, was there. And he mentioned, he said, you know, it was just recently that I watched the uh, video replay of that 89 game six. And he said, if it wasn't for Mike Vernon, we wouldn't have won that game. He was so good. And I go back also in that playoff year of 1989. uh, The Flames almost got upset in the first round of the uh, playoffs. Uh, They were playing against Vancouver. The Flames, I think, finished 29 or 30 points ahead of the Canucks during the regular season, and we were supposed to win that series real easy. Instead, it went to seven games, and game seven in the Saddledome went into overtime, and uh, that game, uh, the play almost a full period of overtime. In fact, they played 19 minutes and 24 seconds of overtime, and during that time, the Canucks had better scoring opportunities than the Flames did. Mike made outstanding saves, three breakaway saves, uh, one against Stan Smeal, another against Tony Taddy, and another against Petrace Krico. Now, those are names from way, way back, but they were top players in those days, and Mike made outstanding stops against them before finally the uh, Flames, Jim Poplinski again, setting it up for Joel Otto uh, to score the, uh, the goal that would uh, see the Flames win in overtime at the 1924 mark. But it wasn't for Mike's great play prior to that goal. Flames could have been eliminated early on. So those would be the, you know, it's a little bit in depth, but those would be the uh, arguments I would have to get Mike in the Hall of Fame from a Calgary standpoint. And uh, and also when you uh, when you add on what he did in Detroit, going on and playing outstandingly with the Red Wings, in fact, uh, he was their goalie in the uh, 1997 season when they won the Stanley Cup, and he was the winner of the Most Valuable Player Award in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. His play uh, was so outstanding at that particular point in uh, time. Uh, so, And he was the runner-up for the MVP award in the uh, 89 Flames Stanley Cup run. Al McKinnis won it that year. I think he had a streak of 19 consecutive games in which he had points. But uh, Mike uh, lost out by, I believe, one or two points in winning the MVP award in 1989. So that would be the arguments I would have put forward uh, for Mike Vernon. In fact, uh, I did point that out to uh, them uh, a few years ago in a note that I sent to the Hall of Fame. I uh, I remember, I'm probably stealing this from the book that you wrote about the 1989 Flames, but one of my favorite sort of behind-the-scenes <laughs> tidbits about that Stanley Cup run is that that was sort of the first year for the NHL that... Disneyland was offering this bonus to the MVP winner. If you if you say I'm going to Disneyland after you win the Smythe Trophy, here's the amount of money that's in it for you. And I I think it was Al McInnes, Mike Vernon, Doug Gilmore, and Joe Mullen who were brought into this meeting to make that offer. Like that's how close Mike Vernon was to to winning a a first of what would have been two Smythe Trophies. 
That's absolutely right. They met with them in the morning of that game and uh, told them, you know, what the situation was. And the player that is named the MVP is to skate around with the uh, trophy and then yell out, I'm going to Disneyland or Disney World, whichever it was. And uh, remember that uh, the guys talking about it that afternoon going into the game. And, of course, uh, it was awarded to uh, Al McInnes, and he was the guy that got the trip to Disneyland. But it could very easily have been Mike Vernon. As I mentioned earlier, he was finished one point or two points behind Al in voting for the MVP award of that uh, Stanley Cup uh, playoff run. So that was pretty pretty exciting. And, uh, yeah, that was real interesting, the, the Disneyland part of all of that. Peter, you had access to to these players for such a long time in a way that that very few and none of us in the industry today do. Like you were on, you know, flying commercial with the guys. You were constantly around the team. What? How would you describe Mike? Maybe away from the ice and and the mindset that then made him so good at at what he did. I think it was his mindset that made him the great goaltender that he was. He just, you know, away from the game, he was just a kind of a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. You could uh, sit there, stand and joke with him in the airport, on the planes or in the hotel, and he'd have a good laugh or he'd, he'd make you laugh. And he had that, that about him. But then when it came time for the game, he would get into that real serious mode. And, uh, you know, that was a big reason why he was such a great goaltender. And, you know, you look back on it, he's, you know, like a young wolf, been called up by the Flames, uh, you know, for their trip now into uh, into the East for the games this weekend. I don't know when he's going to play or if he's going to play, but you know, they were saying some people have been saying about him he's too small to play in the NHL. Well, I said the same thing about Mike Vernon when he was uh, a goaltender for the Flames that he was too small to play in the NHL, but he certainly went on to show that uh, he might have been small, but he was also quick and he had that great attitude, as I say. He kept himself real loose off the ice, but when the games were on the line, uh, he was extremely serious about the the job at hand, and uh, and uh, you know he was right there to come up with all the clutch saves. Remember that playoff series in '86? Grant Fuhrer was the goalie for Edmonton, and those guys both led in some goals. But when the game was on the line, it was very tough to get a goal against them, and both of those guys were not very big. But uh, they they were outstanding netminder. So no, Mike, and he's still well away. Mike, he's got that. Uh, of course, he's not on the ice anymore. But when you talk to him uh, socially or whatever, he's still got that kind of happy-go-lucky way about him, and uh, and a real pleasure to chat and, and uh, enjoy. I'm going to tell you a little story about when he he got uh, traded to Detroit, and the very first time the Flames were playing uh, against the Red Wings when Mike was with them. It was a game was on a Sunday afternoon in Detroit, and um, we were in Detroit on Saturday. There was no game then, but uh, I had Mike's home phone number, so I phoned him that night, and I said, Mike, it'd be possible to meet with you tomorrow about two hours before the game starts, and we can do a quick five-minute interview that I'll record, and we'll run on our pregame show. And Mike said, sure, that's fine. I'll meet you outside the dressing room two hours before the game. So anyway, I get down to the uh, the old Joe Lewis Arena, and uh, go by the Red Wing uh, dressing room, and uh, Mike's there waiting. So I said to Mike, let's, let's go out underneath the stands here and do the interview. That way we'll be out of the way, and uh, we can do a quick interview and uh, go from there. But Mike said, no, 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 come on in the room, on in the dressing room. So we go in the dressing room, and we're standing in the hallway there. There's a picture, a big picture on the wall of Terry Sawchuk, the brilliant uh, Red Wing goaltender from the past, and... So we start the interview, and about five minutes in, or about two minutes into the interview, 
Scotty Bowman, who was the coach of the uh, the uh, Red Wings, he comes in. Now, I knew Scotty quite well because uh, in the 80s when I was doing some television broadcasting of Toronto Maple Leaf games, it was the time when uh, Scotty was uh, out of work from the NHL level and he was doing color commentary on some Hockey Night in Canada games. So I had worked a number of games with Scotty back in those days. So he comes by, he looks at me, and he looks at Mike, and then he goes into his office because his office was right there. Uh, just a few steps away from where we were. So anyway, we finished uh, the interview, and I thank Mike, and away we go. So then I go down to the media lounge at the uh, Joe Lewis Arena, and I'm not there five minutes, and the media relations guy for the uh, Red Wings, he comes into the room, comes over to me. He said, I'm, you got me into a whole lot of trouble, he says, by doing that <laughs> interview with Mike Vernon. Scotty Bowman is real upset with me. And so, <laughs> I said, look, I wanted to take him underneath the stands. And Mike told me he wanted to do him in the dressing room. So, and unfortunately, Scotty came by when we were in the middle of it. So, <laughs> now, the interesting part of that is Mike played that game for Detroit. The Flames won the game 4-2, I believe it was. And uh, as long as Mike played with Detroit after that and Scotty Bowman was coach, Mike never played another game against the Flames. <laughs> he would always put Osgood in uh, after that game because uh, uh, Scotty was really upset about huh. Mike losing that game and kind of blamed our interview, I guess. <laughs> but that's the way Mike was. He didn't, you know, away from the game or, you know, uh, not on the ice. He's just kind of loose and easy about things. And, uh, you know, a lot of goaltenders wouldn't even have done an interview, period, that close to the start of the game. But uh, Mike was one of those guys that uh, didn't mind doing those things. See, Peter Marr. He's- impacting the game from from afar as as he always did um before we let you go pete and and really appreciate the time just the the ability for mike to come back and finish his career in calgary that that must have been even neat for you to see him come back and play those two seasons before his career came to an end yeah, that was real interesting, too, because when he came back to the Flames uh, after having played with Detroit and then later going on to San Jose and then to Florida and then coming back here as, as the Flame goaltender to uh, to close out his career, when he first came, there was nobody on the team that he knew. <laughs> and so when the team would be traveling, and uh, in those days then we were into the uh, the charter flights, he'd always come up and talk to myself and my color commentator, Mike Rogers, and uh, on the flights. And we'd have a good little exchange there And because he didn't know any of the players on the team. He got to know them better as time went along. But, uh, yeah, that was really, really interesting how he'd spent a lot of time with us at that particular point in time until he got to know some of the other guys better. But, yeah, it was nice to have his career end here in Calgary, where it started, where he's from, from this city, played with the junior team, the Wranglers, when they were in the uh, Western Hockey League, not associated with the Wranglers of today that we know in the American League. But, yeah, that that was really neat for him to come back. Unfortunately, he was past his prime at that particular point, and so uh, he wasn't able to carry the Flames into any great uh, playoff runs. But it was always great having him around around the team. We always had a, a lot of good conversations with him. So it was, uh, it was nice that he got to finish off his career here, and it's nice that he's still here in uh, Calgary and uh, although this weekend right now he's in Toronto and uh, I'm headed there tomorrow so I'll uh, Oh awesome you're going part of the ceremony tomorrow yeah Oh that's great so you uh you'll get to uh what 
just just keep it on the rails on Sunday night, okay? Like I know I might. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do that. Well, tomorrow night there's a Mike has his own little party tomorrow night, and then of course uh, Sunday night there's some activities that are going on, and then Monday's the big day. We'll keep we'll keep him in line. I don't think there'll be any problem to do that. And I understand Scotty Bowman is coming in uh, for. I may already be there, but he's going to be around for the weekend as well as he's uh, coming in from uh, Buffalo. I think Scotty's 91 years old now, but you, you hear him do interviews now, which I do every once in a while, and uh, he's as sharp as a tuck. Even though he's at that advanced age, he's got a great, great memory and also well in tune with what's happening in the NHL uh, today. So looking forward to seeing him as well and uh, all of the other gang that will be there this weekend. Peter, make sure you don't take too much flack from Scotty about that <laughs> interview. <laughs> Maybe you can set the record straight. <laughs> I'm, I'm questioning in my mind whether I should bring it up or not. <laughs> uh, I don't want to spoil the evening, but I'm sure we'd have a good laugh at that point. So. <laughs> we, might have to fo- we might have to follow up on that next week at some point. <laughs> yeah. uh, Pete, that was awesome. Uh, first of all, safe travels to Toronto. Enjoy yourself out there with uh, Mike and the gang, but always, uh, always just the best when we can bring you on. Thanks so much for, uh, thanks so much for doing this, Pete. We'll talk to you soon, hey? Yeah, pleasure, guys. I hear you got Rick Walmsley coming on. He He's going to be fun. He's a fun, fun guy, and uh, he'll have some good stories. So yeah. I look forward to hearing that in a few minutes. Yeah, we're looking forward to talking to we're, we're We won't call him Gump, but that's what Colin Patterson <laughs> called him yesterday. So we got Gump coming up next. Yeah, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like the name that I gave him. (laughs) Anyway, that's another story. (laughs) Again, we might have to follow up on that, too. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, Pete. Awesome stuff, as always. You're the best. All right, guys. You take care. You be well. Uh, Peter Marr, the Hall of Fame voice of the Calgary Flames. It's always awesome to reminisce with Marzi. So uh, I knew that would be a hit on the text just, line. Just an encyclopedia of Flames history. Steel trap, 1924 of overtime. Game. I was just like, a couple times, I'm like, that is a steel trap. Like, Jim Poplinski scored. He's like, steel trap. What I, I, I've reached out to Peter lots over the years when I've been working on different stories. And in the rare case that he doesn't remember the details off the top of his head, he still has a ton of notes. And he'll he'll send me long, detailed emails with, you know, like the what he mentioned about the Flames being on an 11 game losing streak yep. when Mike Vernon was recalled from the minor. Like, just unbelievable knowledge, background, and, and insight on all things Flames. Peter Marr joined us inside hockey for Calgary Co op. Hello, fans. Calgary Co op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save, and win with the new Calgary Co op app. Download on the Apple Store and Google Play Store. Flamestock is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. As our uh, Mike Vernon special hour continues, we go from longtime voice of the Calgary Flames, Peter Marr, to longtime Calgary Flames goaltending partner, Rick Wamsley, who spent parts of five seasons as Mike Vernon's partner in the crease between 1988 and 1992 course won a Stanley Cup with the Flames in 1989 along with Mike Vernon and teammates as we continue along it's Pat Steinberg Wes Gilbertson and let's go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in former Flames goaltender Rick Wamsley right now Rick really appreciate the time how uh, how are we doing on this Friday 
We're doing very good, fellas, and thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. I uh, I believe you're uh, on vacation in Florida, so we appreciate you taking some time on vacay to come on with us as well to talk a little bit about Mike Vernon. How's uh, how's how's Florida treating you? Uh, the weather is uh, unseasonably warm this time of year down here, so it's been really good. But in all honesty, this is a, a well over a long overdue um, tribute or, or for Vernie getting in the Hall of Fame. I thought he should be in 15 years ago. Um, I believe he was that good, so I, I'm extremely happy that he's getting in and glad to do this. Well, it's okay. So let's pick right up on that. We just we just talked to Peter Marin and. Pete said the same thing. He said how Glenn Hall said the same thing. It's about time that he's getting in. Tell us tell us why this guy is such a no-brainer Hall of Famer for you, Rick. Well, for me, I mean, how many 30-win seasons did he have? Um, number one. Two Stanley Cups, number two. And he, he was the guy that played. Um, and one con Smythe. I mean, I, I don't know what else you need. You know, the the biggest knock against him was that he played, quote-unquote, a good team, right, in Calgary, and, you know, during the, the late 80s and early 90s, especially the late 80s. But, my goodness, you know, he goes 13 years, 11 years between Stanley Cups, between Calgary and, and, uh, and Detroit, and just good play and good numbers and in an era – uh, where the equipment wasn't as good as it is now, and and, um, and I mean, everything that went into it. I mean, I don't know why it took so long, but I'm extremely glad he got in. You know, I, I, it's funny you bring that up, Rick, because you know you you were a goalie in the NHL, and then after your playing days, you've spent a lot of time coaching the position as well, and a lot of things that, or a lot of times, people bring up. Mike's ability to play in in different area eras when the equipment wasn't as good when the styles were completely different and even when you take a look at at his numbers in the the high flying 80s the save percentage numbers lower when goalies had lower save percentages then and then as the butterfly started to pick up more steam and the equipment got bigger his numbers were always in line with the times can you just talk about Mike's ability to play in different eras and different different styles and and what that says about him well but to me it boils down to talent i mean he just he had talent to play he could read the game better like really really well you had to at his size smaller guys have have to play better to be successful so if you're if you're playing a five seven five eight on a good day and you're leading the league and you and and uh one of the better goalies in the league your ability to read the game, the, everything that goes into skill-wise, skating, hands, controlling rebounds, um, knowing where the net is at all times, um, being able to play shoot or pass um, it w- was just terrific. And as the equipment allowed you to play a different game, I so back in the late 80s, um, the, toe, the toe buckle was – more attached to your toes, so the pad didn't rotate. It was made of different different materials. You had to play basically a toe-over game. You made a skate save. You turned your toe over. You fell on your rear end. You got up later. As equipment changed, where the pads started to get a little uh, bigger, and they were lighter, and they could float, and it looks like everybody had the best butterfly in the world, but in behind the pads, they had a landing area for your knees. So your knees actually four or five inches off the ice, but your pads are nice and flat. 
Um, he could play in that area. And to me, it boils down to talent. And uh, in the end, talent is is the big separator between um, good and great goalies. Rick, Pat mentioned your, your coaching background. In addition to playing in the, the league for as long as you did, you were both a, a goaltending coach and, a, and an assistant coach. I'm curious you know, what, what did Mike have, you know, what did he do that, that was maybe coachable and, and what parts were just some of those, you know, God given talents we talk about? Well, I mean, so you're back in an area where there, there weren't any goalie coaches per se. Glenn Hall was the goalie coach for the flames at the time, but he never came on the ice and he never really showed you something. He just, he just told you, um, my experience with Glenn was if I had an issue, I went and asked him, he had the answer, but I had to go to him. He wasn't coming. He wasn't coming to me. Um, again, I'm, I'm going to keep going back to talent, right? Where, where Mike, Mike could skate and he might, he might get all out of whack every once in a while, how he's feeling about his game or how he's feeling about how he's playing, and then Glenn would just say, "Hey, you're okay." You know, just ex- I read an article today where you, you know, expect that should be expected. So expect the unexpected. And 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 Vernie had, Vernie had this outward. You know, you never really know what's going on in the inside, but outwardly to his teammates, you know, you would look at you would look at Vernie before the game. Don't worry, boys. I I got gotcha. you. Like he like there there was a, such a comfort. With him and the net, with the rest of the team, Bernie's got our backs, boys. Well, like, we just we just got to go get two. We got a point. We get three. We're gonna win. And and night after night after night, like he produced and and I mean, could win games. But his his outward presence, his his vibe, whatever you want to call it, was what all young goalies should aspire to be like. And it, it's hard to do. It's so basically, Vernie Vernie could walk the talk, and he wasn't a boastful guy, but but he had tons and tons of confidence. If you take us sort of behind the scenes a little bit, what what was it like to be in the backup role, to be in the supporting role, and and, and what was your relationship with Mike like during that '89 run? How how were you trying to support him as the starter during? the Flames quest and, and successful quest to raise the Stanley Cup banner? Well, it, it was, you know, A, you'd rather be playing. So let's be honest. Yeah. You'd rather be playing, but but you sit there, you, when you sit and watch this guy play every night, you go, wow, like like this, this guy could play. Like, I don't know if I could do that. Do you know what I mean? So um, then you become a teammate. Even though you play, you, you play the same position, you, you really become a teammate that has unique understanding of, of, of what, what Mike is going through. So you'd be there for him. If he has questions every once in a while, he would ask you something every once in a while, when he came over the bench for water, I would say something, I would say something about the other team, what they're trying to do. Um, my, minor stuff like that, you know, just, just to make sure it got said. Um, but, and just be a good teammate. I like just, just be supportive. You'd supportive in practice um, where, you know, the backup stays out a little later. Say, Bernie, Bernie, I got this kid, you know, get out of here and go home and rest type type thing. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so, so basically you, you just, I guess the better teammate you, you can show towards him, the more comfortable he is like, like this first, this guy's my teammate and he's not just here to take my job, even though, even though, you know, cause, cause Bernie can play so well that forced me to say, boy, well, I better up my game if I want to play a little bit here. So it's, 
we kind of, we didn't feed off each other, but it were, there was an understanding. I had the understanding if I wanted to play after watching that, I mean, I had to go out and perform. And then if I did that, Vernie, Vernie could look at me and say, Hey, Hey, my teammates, he's a pretty good goalie too. If I want to keep my job, I gotta keep playing. So it just, it just ended up being a terrific situation. And, and the team and the team benefited the most from, from that type of relationship and that experience between the two guys. Were there any moments for you in, in overtime of game seven of that opening round series against the Canucks that you worried this thing might be over before it really got started? Well, yeah, well, I thought it was like, um, <laughs> uh, Cliff Fletcher had a little speech after game six and he, we wasn't very happy. He kicked everybody off the bus and he let it ha- He let the team have it pretty good. And it was good. And game seven didn't, didn't start off. Um, the way anybody wanted it to, and then now you go into overtime, and it's and it's like, oh my god! And then there's there's three saves that everybody's talk talks about. There's the breakaway save on Smeal, there's a save on Tanty, and then there's a save on on, on Screeko's one timer. And I had a I had the best seat in the house. <laughs> I had the best seat in the house for Screeko's one timer save. And I'm telling you, we're within a big toe. We're, we we are within Mike Vernon's big toe of not not winning the Stanley Cup. The puck come over to Screeko. I, I I can I can see it as I'm talking about it. I can see it right now. It comes over to Screeko, left hand shot, right wing side of the ice, somewhere around the top of the circle. He gets all of it, and it, it's it's almost the perfect height. It's it's over pad height, so it's it's going over the pad, under the hand, perfect. And it, it hit the toe cap. Gosh, the God hit the toe cap of Vernie's skate. Now he comes across toe over. You don't see that anymore. So so his toes are up. Hits hits the big toe. Hits the white toe cap, and uh, goes over the net. But when that when that puck's released, I'm going. That's it. We're done. It's over. <laughs> and uh, I'm it went, and they oh my God, it didn't go in. We're okay here. And then we come down the ice, and you know Ott kicks one in the net. But you know we don't we don't tell anybody that now. So. <laughs> It like it is amazing to me. We're we're going on almost thirty five years, and every single guy that I've ever talked to from the eighty yep. nine Flames can tell you who took those three shots. Like not oh, I think there was a breakaway. It's a Stan Smeal breakaway. Oh, I think there was a one timer. Yeah, it was Petri Skrico. Like it oh, is amazing was... how vivid those memories are. I, mean, I think everybody looks at it from his own perspective. If you're on the ice, I mean, who lost him in coverage? I don't know. Um, I can't even tell you if it was even strength. I don't think it was a power play, not many penalties back then. But but when that puck left his stick, I didn't have a very good feeling. And then for Vernie A, now Vernie's moving from his right to left. Um, equipment the way it was, you're, you're going to come over and escape old old school skate save match in, uh, or, or fashion, toes up, and it, it's in. Like it, it, he can't reach it with his hand. Because it's in such a perfect spot, it was such a good pass, it was such a good one timer, and he finds a way to get a big toe on it. And it was, it was, it, when it, I'm telling you, when it left the stick, I mean, it was, oh my God, this is going to be a long summer. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Rick Wobsley, uh, who is uh, 1989 Flames Cup champ and Mike Vernon's goaltending partner. It's funny, Colin Patterson, when he was with us on, on Thursday, told the same story about Cliff Fletcher. Like he was, I know, like he was, if you were in a dressing room, he would have been peeling paint, hey? It was it was the it was the defining moment, and it, it was bad. And Cliff had a really, really um, 
for the players that have been there the longest, Cliff had a, a really deep personal relationship with all those players, and he was he was upset. He was upset. He was his like he had the he had the perfect white hair, right? And then he had you know sometimes a tan face to match, but it was his face was red. It was he was red, and you could have heard a pin drop. And, and what he was saying wasn't wrong. And then basically in a nutshell, he says, all you guys, all you guys are going to come to me for new contracts. All I'm telling you is I need some playoff revenue to give you more money. So if we don't have the playoff revenue, you're not getting the money. So, so you guys figure it out. And they go, okay, go. yeah, we got it. We got it. So it was, it was beautiful. It was but it, you didn't say it that nicely. You know what I mean? Yes. You know, there's there's a few, few f bombs in there, and to to uh, you know make his points. But it, it, he wasn't wrong. He was disappointed, and he started off with, "He's I've been through this with most of you guys. I've been through." And when they lost to Winnipeg, um, I wasn't there then. But that's that's where he was going, right? So he, well, I've I've seen this show. I've seen this picture, right? So he took it upon himself to to say his piece, and and it helped. Last one for you, Rick, and and that's just me. We'll we'll wrap it up with with you know Peter Marr earlier talked about how you know Mike Vernon was a super happy go lucky, easy going guy, and then when it's game day mode, he is dialed in. Tell it. Tell us about Mike, the mindset, Mike, the teammate uh, uh, during the five seasons you spent with him. Well, he was. You know, I would I would marvel. I would marvel how a guy. Could, I mean, so. I was different. So I almost had to get mad to play, right? I almost had to be um, the blinders on. Um, I had to get my own little space. I had, I had to almost get mad. I felt like I had to get mad to go out and play and perform. I look at this guy. I look at this guy. We saw, I sat across from him. He's high smiling. He's joking before the game. I mean, I was like that when I wasn't playing, but when I was playing, I was a different guy. You couldn't tell. You you could not tell if Vernie was playing or not playing by how he acted before the game in the dressing room. But but that's a real ability of of a of a well, let's call him what he is a Hall of Fame player. Now it's time to play. So when it came time to play, right? He, 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 the, I don't I don't believe there, there wasn't any. So I, I've said this: inch for inch, pound for pound, he's he's the best small goalie that's ever played the position in the National Hockey League. No, I didn't see Rogie Bash on play, um, or or that era of goaltender. But I I can't imagine anybody being better than Vernie. And he had that, like I said, he had that outward expression of "I've got your back, no worries." Now you don't you never really know what's going on, on the inside, but. But what what teammates saw in him was the goal, and then and then he he goes out and performs, right, and plays and and has our back and covers up for mistakes, does enough for us to win. Um, it was truly great, and he he had a he had a great mix of um, he carried himself with his teammates. He didn't he didn't act above or below anybody. He was one of the guys. That, I don't think I don't think I ever heard him say in an interview or when I was around him, I'm the starter. You know what I mean? He just yeah. he was just I'm just I'm just one of the two. Do you know what I mean? He was a pretty good one. <laughs> but but he never he was never like that. Right. And if you had a good game, he was just as happy for you in a good game as he was for himself when he played well. And that that's just the mark of a of a a, a really good teammate, right? And and a guy that understands 
that really understands that he can't play all 82 and play well, that you might need somebody to play 20 and, <laughs> and hopefully win 10 of them. You know what I mean? That, yeah. That's basically all the backup does. Right. So, um, and he was, he was really supportive, like really supportive. And I'll tell, I'll tell you a good story. Right. So this is back in the day when, uh, you, you got bone, you were allowed to have bonuses and what inevitably what would happen at the end of a season when you got one or two games left, you would have a conversation with your teammates who needs an assist, who needs a point, who needs a shift, who needs a plus, right? You had all these bonuses in your contract. Well, I had, I had a, a decent bonus in my contract if I played 30 games, right? I, I got I had a decent bonus. So we're playing the last game of the year. That was last game of the year, game 82. Um, if we win, we win the president's trophy and we get home ice in the playoffs. So it's an important game, right? It's an important game. Yeah. And I needed, I needed, I needed to get on the ice for a shift to get a, get a sizable bonus. And, and I never went to Crispy. Somebody else said, hey, if Wama plays today, he gets uh he gets uh he gets uh he gets a decent chunk of change. So we're playing I believe we're playing LA. We're up three one after the second period. So the game's still in doubt. So I'm walking off the bench after the second period and Crispy goes, Hey, uh he goes, Wammer, he goes, If you play, do you 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 get some money? I go, Yeah, don't worry about Crispy. Win the win the game. Let's just win the game. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? So I wasn't, I wasn't campaigning to play because I got my money. And Christopher uh, says, "Oh, blank that. You're going in." <laughs> I said, "Okay, okay." And and Bernie was fully supportive of that. Do you know what I mean? Like he was fully yeah. supportive of that. So to make a long story short, we end up winning the game four-one. I was extremely motivated to play. I appreciated the gesture by the coach. I appreciated the gesture by my teammates to bring it up to the coach. And I really appreciated the goalie that got didn't get the hook, but he got kind of taken out of the game. He was all for it, and and that's just kind of the team we had. It was kind of awesome. all for one and one for all. So that's that, awesome. Uh, that kind of sums up. Yeah, it's, uh, it was great. That's uh, that's awesome, Rick. I I, I got to say we we really do appreciate the time, and and I know that it was uh, probably not a labor at all for you to uh, spend twenty minutes with us talking about Mike, but we really no. do appreciate it, man. That was awesome. I, well, I, again, thanks for having me on, guys. It, it was this is one of the the nicest walks down memory lane with 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 uh, you know what's going to happen on when when Bernie goes in the Hall of Fame. It's well deserved. I I was truly honored to play a small part um, in being his teammate, but I am I am extremely happy he's getting in the Hall of Fame. It's well deserved. Thank you so much for the time today, Rick, and enjoy the ceremony from afar, and uh, yeah, really appreciate the time. That was awesome. Be well. Have a great weekend. Uh, thanks, fellas. Thank you very much. That is Rick Wamsley. That's a great way to wrap up the hour, too. Peter yeah. Marr and some great stories with Rick Wamsley, all on Mike Vernon going into the hall. Uh, by the way, Rick on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline using the same secret recipe since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Enjoying the game at home? Call for pickup or delivery at 403-248-3344. That was awesome. Yeah. I, I think I just giggled for most of the past hour. Some great stories. Those are some awesome, awesome stories. Yeah. Uh, vivid. Everything vivid. Uh, from Marzi to Wamsley, Patter, Colin Patterson on Thursday as well. Uh, we did not do a very good job timing this hour, but we'll live. 
Uh, thanks to Rick Wamsley. Thanks, Colin Patterson, for setting this up with Rick Wamsley. And thanks to the Hall of Famer, Peter Marr, as well. Mike Vernon goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame this weekend, including the official induction on Monday. This has been your Mike Vernon Hockey Hall of Fame Hour, and this has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe, now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.